that's what I love most about my career is just really making meaningful change in areas that matter, um, which is why I like cybersecurity. No matter what company you work for, cybersecurity matters. From Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My guest today is my good friend and colleague, Jennifer Chaplevsky. Jennifer is the Senior Director on the Cybersecurity Team at Target. In this role, she is responsible for leading DevSecOps, vulnerability management, and endpoint protection. Among holding several leadership roles within the information security industry throughout her career, Jennifer is also the 2021 Co-Chair of the Cybersecurity Summit, and she authored a chapter of Modern Cybersecurity, a book which I and several of our friends also contributed to. Jen, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. It's so kind of you to invite me on your show. You know, I will never forget, there was this one time several years ago, and we went out for sandwiches. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like even though I only really get to see you in person, maybe once, max twice a year, I feel like I actually see you more often than that, even though it's not technically true. Well, we're, we cross paths sometimes in different forums and I feel like, gosh, it's hard to say why, but maybe we just have a good connection. Um, because even when I met you, I don't even know, six years ago, seven, five, six years ago, maybe more. Um, we just had a lot in common and like, you know, sharing our experiences in the cybersecurity space. So Maybe it feels like more because we have good conversation whenever we meet up. I love it. I love it. And I appreciate it. And in my very brief bio, I wonder if there's anything else that you'd like for our listeners to know about you. Well, your description is true. That is my role at Target. And it's... um, it's exciting. I like my career. I, when I think about it, I enjoy it. And I, I think about all the different kinds of jobs that I've had. Um, I've been with Target for 15 years. And prior to that, I worked with at um, Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company, but I've had so many more careers than what it almost looks like. If you look at someone's resume, because so many roles are different. Um, so I, I enjoy it. I think it's been just such a fun, challenging road. Um, I feel like I hope to be one of those people. Uh, Sometimes people describe it as the one who runs toward the fire, like takes the tough assignments. I took a role once while I was at Target and I remember someone saying, good luck with that. Um, Because it was hard and it was going to be really challenging and others had gone before me and, you know, not quite sorted out what they wanted to do. And so. Absolutely. This is definitely one of the reasons why I enjoy connecting with you so much. It's because you have such a positive outlook, despite and perhaps due to your experience. You know, when I hear you talk about the things that your teams uh, have accomplished, uh, there's a lot of pride in the innovation. And I wonder if Uh, there's anything in particular you'd like to share with our listeners uh, about initiatives or projects that that you've encountered or or any challenges over the past, you know, several years at Target uh, that you'd like to share? Uh, Yes, I'm I'm so glad 
that the pride that I have for the work that the team has done comes through because I feel it so deeply. I work with people, I get to work with people who are just um, amazing at, at things that they do. That could be development, it could be strategy, it could be like looking at data and saying, oh, this is absolutely what's going on um, and really being able to sift through that. So I just feel incredibly grateful to work with the folks that I get to work with. And we get to do things differently. We get to, you know, we have the sort of freedom to explore and the space to fail. I think that's important for innovation. So, you know, when you're trying to innovate, that doesn't mean that everything is um, a thousand percent right the first time around. Um, one thing that I talk about a lot and I feel really proud of is um, one of the topics that was in the cybersecurity book, the modern cybersecurity book that we collaborated on together, um, a system that we built at Target called product intelligence. And I'm proud of it because I think measurement in the cybersecurity space is hard. And that's so funny that I say that to you, Caroline, because I know that you have a book about this space. And so everybody you know, can, who's worked in this space knows it's really hard to take enough data, the right amount of data to drive action. And so I'm proud of that because we really changed the way that we talk about cybersecurity at Target with the product intelligence system. It um, shows the power if when you're really explicit with customers or teams or whomever you're working with stakeholders, when you're very explicit about what you want them to do, they want to do the right thing. Like, you know, I firmly believe that customers or, you know, developers want to build secure systems and want to do the right thing. So once we were able to be really clear with them about what that was, the, the conversation and just like the way that we talk about cybersecurity with my peers at Target has changed because we're saying, this is what we want you to do. This is what secure looks like. And they respond fantastically. And so that was, I'm, I feel a lot of pride with that because we were able to step back a little bit and say, what are we actually trying to do? It's not provide metrics, it's behaviors and changing um, actions. And once we were able to zoom out a little bit and say, what are we actually trying to do? And then solve that problem instead of sort of like, what metrics do these teams want on a monthly basis? Uh, we were able to do some things differently. And so it's exciting. That is fantastic. I think that to have achieved any level of maturity and behavioral change within an organization, particularly a large organization, um, that is uncommon. Uh, and that is absolutely something to be proud of. Now, Jen, you mentioned prior to Target uh, that you spent some time at Pfizer. And mm -hmm. for our audience, I'd actually like to go back even and ask you, sir, how did you get to Pfizer? And then how did you get to Target? Um, you know, if you'd consider sharing with us, how would you describe yourself as a young person? Mm -hmm. uh, and when you attended school, how did you choose what to study? And where did you go from there? So I have really enjoyed, I will say air quotes, computers, um, because that's really how the field started for me. Even back in like elementary school, um, I somehow got chosen to help. I think it was a data entry job. I didn't realize that it was probably not a awesome assignment. And like fifth and sixth grade to enter people's like essays into the system. And I just really loved it. Um, so I think it's that, you know, kind of passion for technology. Um, and it was funny, I was talking to my mom about this a little bit over Thanksgiving and it's always asking why. 
I think I drove, well, I've now learned that I drove my family crazy as a kid asking why about stuff all the time. And I think they, I've now learned that they were rolling their eyes a lot about it. Like, oh, I don't know why, or that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why it just is. Um, and I feel like that works really well in cybersecurity. Like, why is this like this? Like, why would this actor be behaving in this way? Why do people not respond when we send them emails and we want them to do stuff? Um, and so I feel like that's a little bit of the characterization of me as a younger person. Um, I took as many of the computer courses as I can in middle school and high school, but I don't, I won't um, overly date myself, but like there weren't a lot, there wasn't a lot of options. So I took what I could. Um, my undergrad was in it's a business degree, but in like IT, so business systems. Um, and I just really enjoyed the technology angle. Um, and I actually didn't, cybersecurity didn't really cross my radar for, you know, another decade. When I worked for Pfizer, um, I worked in like um, basically infrastructure. So um, doing infrastructure level uh, programs and things like that. Um, and then came to Target, not in cybersecurity. I was in our enterprise architecture function um, and then like corporate systems, which is sort of the management of things like accounting and, um, you know, things that aren't necessarily something that sets Target apart. And I didn't join the cybersecurity function until 2010. And so everything that I've learned about security has really been in the last 11, 12 years, uh, which makes me sometimes feel um, well, my imposter syndrome kicks in because there are people who I work with who have like two or three decades in the cybersecurity field. And for me, um, even at 11 years, I still feel like a newbie. So there is so much that I want to comment on. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'll just work backwards and say, for someone like you to say, I have imposter syndrome, I think is such a powerful thing to be vulnerable about publicly. I think that we've chosen to work in a field that has so many dimensions and so many layers and is changing at such a rapid pace that if you don't have some level of imposter syndrome, mm. then maybe you're psychotic. Like, I mean, I think that, <laughs> I think that that, I think that that's, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. You know, um, another thing that I just want to say is I can just, I love this visual that I have of you as a girl, just asking why, 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 you know, and, and, and we've, we're both parents. We've, we've talked mm -hmm. about our kids and, you know, it's a funny thing. My husband and I sometimes say to ourselves, you know, it's a good thing that our kids are so smart, but sometimes in the moment, <laughs> Oh, it's exactly you, know, you have you have yeah. to deal with it. So I just yeah. so I just love that. I love that so much. Um, I have so much I want to ask you about, and so I'm just going to go on to mm -hmm. our next topic. Um, you and I were on a panel recently, and we were talking about communication for different groups of stakeholders. Um, you told a particular story about something that you did at Target. Um, and I would just love for you to uh, share that with our listeners. Um, yeah, you're talking about when we were sort of through our early transformation, um, when we were really trying to establish our product security function and started partnering differently with developers. Is that the story? 
exactly. And you did sort of this like, what I consider to be a clever and a thoughtful and an intentional physical move in order to kind of position yourselves to get the results you wanted. We did. And um, looking back, well, I'll back up and I'll tell the story and then I'll sort of reflect on it a little bit. So Target went through a, a digital transformation. Many organizations are in some version of that um, transformation. So 2015, you know, we pivoted away from project management and into more product development and um, adopted more uh, agile methodologies rather than really the waterfall um, structure that we had been anchoring on for a really long time prior to that. Uh, we were really bringing a lot of development in-house and hired, I think in 2015 or 16, we hired like a thousand developers. We were really saying we are going to become an IT heavy organization. It was very exciting. And so I was part of the security team at that time. And it, you would have to have really not been paying attention to realize that we, the security team, could not keep working the way that we had been working um, if we wanted to continue to be effective within the organization. So we started thinking about, well, how does the security team need to change in order to be good partners with our development teams? And at Target at the time, we were there was a learning culture that we were establishing for how to work differently in models and using Agile or Scrum or however you know teams wanted to operate. And so we created an immersive experience um, that was led by a number of um, Agile coaches where teams would go and work from that space and maybe solve a problem or develop like a, you know, sort of an MVP of a system. Then it was called the Dojo. It's now been rebranded um, to call uh, something called Rise. But it was an immersive experience. And so we saw a lot of teams coming through. Uh, when you were there, you were supposed to try to be really focused. Um, we used not very much technology. It was like post-it notes and whiteboards. But the members of the product security team, we were very small then. I think there were four or five of us. We relocated and we worked out of that space for, I mean, I think it was like 18 or 24 months. We um, took a big, long table in the middle of the space, monitors, and what we were trying to do was be where the development teams are. And that ended up becoming one of our ongoing mantras that we still live by today, which is our work should be wherever the development is happening. If you're doing a security thing, we don't want teams to have to stop developing to go do the security thing. We're trying to embed with the way that teams are working. And the way that we did that back in 2015, 2016 was like physically sitting where development was happening. We hoped that we would get a lot of security questions. Honestly, I don't think we did. <laughs> we got, maybe we would be like thrilled if we got one question a week from a team that came over and said, hey, how would you go about solving this? But I think what ended up happening is we were certainly accessible. Um, we became, you know, kind of like, hey, how are you? I'm great kind of chummy with, you know, the teams who are leading the development um, transformation as well. And so I think just metaphorically and physically and literally and metaphorically, um, it helped teams realize that we were serious when we said we want to change how we work and be really good partners with our development teams. I love it. I love it. And I think it goes about solving the problem in a very human way. Um, as I mentioned, there is just so much I want to talk to you about. So I'm just going to go to the next question. The next question has to do with this book that you and I recently contributed to. Tell me about your chapter. Uh, well, my chapter was um, 
really building on that concept of you can know all the things in the world, but if you um, aren't really taking that knowledge and translating it into something meaningful, then you're not really getting better. Um, quite honestly, I have to remember, I think it's not what you know, it's what you do was the chapter title. Um, and so I really told three stories about the uh, journey that we've had mostly at the target organization to translate knowledge into action. And so one of them was product intelligence. And I talked about that a little bit earlier where we were really explicit with teams about, hey, this is what your security level is today. We gave them a score between 300 and 850. If you wanna get better, here are the five most important actions you can take to improve your score. And we've been doing this four years and I'm still blown away by how seriously teams take security steps and how uh, thoughtfully they approach their security work when you're just really clear with them about what you want them to do. Instead of saying like, well, we'd like you to do some security testing and think about the OS 10, out from the this date, we go back and forth and agree on a date. So there's lots of elements in the score that a team can um, look at. But just the really the real clarity comes when the you know teams say, great, this is exactly what I need to do. I'm going to work this into my um, product maturity work. Um, and so we've just really seen a great change in the way that we interact with our development partners over the last few years. The second element is about our security champions program. Uh, we call our security champions program security ninjas. We use that term because we really think of ninjas as people who are nimble and at the top of their game. So it just talks about the, the way that we have implemented security champions and the learnings that we've had. We've been doing the program now for five years. It's not wildly different than when we started, but we've started. And then lastly, it just talks about um, pen testing. So um, our pen testing function is long established. And I think like a lot of things, sometimes innovation doesn't mean a complete 180 from how you're doing something, but really thoughtfully just looking and saying, where can we do a better job squeezing the best? And so we tell a few stories in there about pen testing as well. So that's my, um, the examples that I use in the modern cybersecurity book. And it was certainly a different kind of experience to tell those stories in long form writing versus just kind of conversationally talking about them. Yeah, writing is a different format for sure. You know, there yeah. is this way in which it's sort of like always going to be there. Um, <laughs> and I do love the title that you chose for your chapter. Knowledge without action is a wasted opportunity. Um, I couldn't agree with that more. And I do think that sometimes certain security folks might seek knowledge without really focusing on the action. Um, so I just, um, I love that uh, and I appreciate it. Jen, we are recording this uh, right after the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Um, and that means that the end of the year is approaching. The new year is practically upon us. Um, I'm curious to know if you have any industry predictions for next year. What do you think we can expect? I think that predicting the future is probably, it's, it's so difficult. I, I think about, um, Caroline, was the last time we saw each other was probably January of 2020, maybe February. Were we that in sounds right, San Francisco which is like RSA? so 
kind of depressing and yeah. wild. Yes. And who would have predicted? Uh, I think we did know that, you know, there was a lot of talk about uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 then. Um, but, oh my gosh, I'm glad I couldn't predict that it was going to be now almost December of 2021. And so, um, I always think that predictions, gosh, every time I try to make one, I feel like I'm proven wrong. Um, I think what I've seen happen and what I will imagine happens as we get into 2022 is it just feels like whatever it is, is happening faster. I think, you know, vulnerabilities are being exploited faster. I think um, expectations for teams to, you know, address security issues is faster. They seem to be coming in faster. So um, without knowing what's coming at us, I think it's just an anticipation that we're going to have to be ready to react faster than what we would have definitely even two or three years ago. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that makes a lot of sense when we think about the way in which software development is happening mm -hmm. um, and then therefore what are the security implications of that software development happening faster and faster? Uh, it is super interesting. We will have to see. It's interesting. Yeah. And I think it's hard for leaders. When I think about that with my, you know, teams that I work with and, you know, folks who um, are part of the functions that I have responsibility for, it's like, how do we lead through those? I think about that a lot. Like, how do we lead through, you know, what's going to be unpredictable um, and while we can kind of guess that things are going to be happening faster, and there are certain things that probably are going to continue happening. We've seen a lot of things like ransomware um, in 2021. I don't see that going away in 2022, but um, how do we lead successfully teams who are able to adjust to all of those things? And so that's you know something I think a lot about and how to make sure that we're setting everybody up for the marathon, not the sprint. Now, I'm curious if you have any tips for our listeners in terms of how to support their teams through this type of experience. Um, you know, you and I, we've both been in the industry long enough to have experienced all sorts of unexpected things. Um, and what are some of those techniques uh, that you try to uh, remember uh, as you're uh, trying to build resilience within your mm -hmm. team and also kind of focusing on that marathon, not a sprint type of mentality? Well, we had a conversation about this recently within one of the teams that I lead. And so I think one of them is you have to have a focus on the well-being of your team. It's, uh, you know, that's the same phrase that we use. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And my joke is, you know, well, we're following methodology that we call sprints. And if we stack a bunch of sprints up you know, one after another, then we're basically sprinting a marathon. So we have to have some room, we have to have a reservoir of energy or gas in the tank or whatever you call it. So we've started really being more intentional about not filling up um, our days, weeks, months, years with like, okay, great, we've got all this work planned out. You just have to have a little bit of breathing room. Maybe it's learning time, maybe it's just taking a rest, maybe it's a little bit of innovation, but sort of leaving some space um, so that you have enough reservoir for when things do get intense and you have to be able to spike or um, really focus and deliver, you know, you, you have enough uh, left to be able to do that. Um, you know, I think my, my second thought would be we as leaders, 
need to make sure that we're really, what is the North Star? Like, what are we working toward? And I think that helps people understand what's important and what can kind of be set aside. Um, that thing that I'm trying to do really well, but, you know, I'm sure my team can give me pointers on how to improve in that space. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I don't often very profound. And I saw the other week about self-care, like it's the same, you know, the analogy that we all say, and I, I say it all the time, you know, you have to put your own mask on before you can help others. So listen that you say to your, Hey, take a breather. Um, make sure that you're thinking about your own well-being and do less myself. So that's my goal. I think that will maybe be my resolution for 2022 is um, giving myself the same grace that I give to, you know, everybody that I work with. Very cool. I love that. And I do think that there's a lot to be said for those of us that lead teams for setting that example. Um, You know, it's so different. I think if you say to your team, hey, when you're planning out your week next week, make sure to budget in some time where you don't have anything planned. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then if we ourselves don't do that and sort of model that behavior, um, then it's also, I think, in our fast moving workaholic cultures, I think it's I think it's really hard to do unless you're extremely intentional about it. Um, and I, I applaud you for that. That's, that's yeah. an awesome tip. Well, the intentionality is key. Um, I love that word and I agree with you on that. So that's, that's um, I'm going to jump ahead in my own mind to my 2022 resolution. And I'm really setting aside that space is probably good for all of us. Fantastic. Jen, thank you so much for joining me. I always enjoy our conversations um, and it's a little bit extra fun when we're recording it for all the world to hear. Thank you so, so much. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. I am so appreciative of um, what you bring to the industry and how intentional you are about your network and kind of building everyone up. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt. A pen test as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec. Mm-hmm.